Well, it is with uh, great anticipation that I get to share the word with you this morning. Let's pray together before I begin. Father, again, we give you thanks for all that has happened this morning, for the songs that have been sung, for the worship that we have given to you. Father, we thank you that you are at work within us, within us and through us all around the world and in this world. Even in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of panic, you are at work and you are still a good God who loves us. And so we pray with that hope. We pray to you. We give you all of the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. How long, Lord? This is a question that has been cried out to God for centuries. It is a question that is asked by the lady who is in the hospital and is dying by a flesh-eating disease. It is a question asked by the faithful minister who sees his congregation lose their jobs one by one. It is a question asked by the married couple who after years of marriage has lost their son in an accident and now after conflict upon conflict, it seems like they are headed for a divorce. It is a question asked by the senior with a compromised immune system after weeks upon weeks upon weeks of social isolation because of a pandemic. It is a question asked by many, both those who are deemed closer to God and those who are not. And it is a question that we will see soon, asked by a prophet of many years ago as he waits for restoration to come from the evil around him. How long, Lord? Today, after two weeks of celebration of the Passion Week with Palm Sunday leading up to our celebration last Sunday for Easter, and after a series in the book of Philippians, which I hope you really enjoyed and benefited from, we are heading into the Old Testament. So if you have a Bible with you, I would encourage you to open up to it. If you've never opened up to the book that we're going to be in, which is the book of Habakkuk, I would recommend going to Matthew, which is the first book in the New Testament, which you probably know where it is, and then going a little bit before. It is near the end of the Old Testament, after Nahum and before Zephaniah. We're not going to be going there just yet, but I want to give you a heads up, as it's a shorter book and therefore a little harder to find than other books. It's also just three chapters, which is another reason why it can be harder to find. I would also recommend typically to those of you who don't have a Bible to grab one on your way out or your way in and take it home. But this is a different time. It is a unique time in the history of the church. So if you don't have a Bible, I would love to have your mailing information and send you one for free. Just send me an email, and I can get that for you. It would bring me great joy to send you a Bible. There's also a Bible option on this church online platform. If you want to click or tap on the Bible option, you can bring up the entire Bible and your preferred translation. As we do on Sunday mornings, I will be preaching from the New International Version. That's the NIV. 
If you're on YouTube and don't have a physical Bible, feel free to type in Bible Gateway into Google, and you will get it as well. Before we get into the text, I think it's important to understand why we are going into the book of Habakkuk. You see, this book at its absolute core is this honest and faithful dialogue between Habakkuk and God. While at the same time there is injustice, there is violence and sin among and within the people of God. This is a vital book to study and proclaim right now because we as Christians are either one of two people right now with a pandemic around us. We are either one Christians who are really struggling with God right now in a visible way. Where is he? What is he doing? And is he in control and actually sovereign over all things as the Bible says? Or we are these people, Christians who are really struggling with God right now, but not visibly, perhaps in a large sense or small, but still asking the same questions, but perhaps in just a smaller way. What this book does to us and should do to us is reveal our good God, our unfair and at times sinful assumptions about that good God, and through it all, and in the end of it all, response in praise. In fact, the words from protest to praise would be a fair theme for the book of Habakkuk. Now with your Bible either on your hand, on your lap, or in front of you on your screen, let's go into Habakkuk 1, 1 to 4. I'll read it right through. Habakkuk 1, 1 to 4 says these words, the prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous, so that justice is perverted. So whether you are a longtime Bible scholar, whether you are a teacher, theologian, a pastor, farmer, retired teacher, whatever the case may be, in order to understand a text from the Bible well, you need to visit or revisit, in some cases, context in order to see the meaning behind as well as the good news of the gospel throughout it. The events that take place in the book of Habakkuk take place no later than the end of King Josiah, who was a king who did good in the eyes of the Lord. But in order to see the context even more, to do this well, we need to back up even further. Since the beginning of the first sin in Genesis chapter 3, entering the world in the eyes of God and through the actions of our first parents, Adam and Eve, there was a great sense that we wanted to be ruled by firstly ourselves and secondly, 
anybody other than our good God. In the first sin, we thought we knew better than our good God. Because of that, we ate what was forbidden. And God gave us hope, though, as he promised someone who would come that would crush the head of the serpent who tempted us. The serpent crusher is the one hope that God's people would hang on to as time progressed. Since then, we haven't learned from our first sin. And as humans grew, they didn't necessarily become wiser. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, Israel, that is God's chosen people, decides that they need a human king to rule over them and help them walk in the ways that God has given them. In this chapter of 1 Samuel, we see these exact details. In 1 Samuel 8, 4 to 7, it says this, So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. The Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. A rejection of the one true king. And so, for the next books, including Habakkuk, there is a long list of kings who rule over the people of God. These kings will either do evil in the sight of the Lord, or they will do good. Many of us, if we've, if we've grown up in the church, we know some of these kings. David, of course, we may know perhaps simply because Jesus was born in the line of David. Saul was the first king of Israel, and we may, may know him because of that. But what about this book we get into? What is the context? At what point in the history of the world does a prophecy from God come to a prophet named Habakkuk? Now, Habakkuk is a prophet. In terms of the overall genre of literature, Habakkuk is one of the minor prophet books. Not minor in importance, but minor in overall length and mention in the greater story of the Bible. Unlike the other minor prophet books, Habakkuk doesn't tell of a prophet that speaks warning and judgment onto and into God's people. Instead, it's this great dialogue, as I mentioned, between God and Habakkuk. Habakkuk prophesied most likely 2,600 years ago in the generation leading up to the three Babylonian invasions of Judah, the southern kingdom of God's people, as it was. The northern kingdom, which was Israel, had been conquered by Assyria in 722 B.C., now a century later, the Assyrian Empire is waning, and Babylon is on the rise. In 612, the Babylonians conquered Nineveh, which of course was the capital of Assyria, which had ruled over God's people from a distance for a whole century. In 609, Judah's young promising king, who I mentioned already, his name was Josiah, was killed in battle against Egypt. Finally, in 605, the Babylonians finished their full conquest 
of the Assyrians. And that same year, they continued to march to Jerusalem for the first of what would be three invasions of the holy city, each time taking a new wave of exiles. Now, before these invasions happen, God tells Habakkuk what he is going to do regarding these things. And what makes this book so beautiful, so applicable, and beautiful for a time like this, is that Habakkuk is honest and pure, but also faithful. He asks the same questions that we ask, although at a different time, today and that time are both times in which we as the people of God are waiting. We are waiting for God's ultimate restoration to come through. Whether it be in a pandemic like today, or if it's waiting for the Messiah to come, like in Habakkuk, and God's people to be delivered from evil, we all cry out with the same question, how long, Lord? And so with hearing from Habakkuk as well, we start our message today by declaring along with him, how long, Lord? Verse 2. If you're following along in the passage, Habakkuk 1, 2 says, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? You see, one of the most incredible things about this book is that it gets into the emotions right away. Habakkuk, at first glance, seems to be a feisty and almost impatient prophet. And the glance that we get of this God is that he almost seems to be standing idly, like the God of deism, which simply believes that God created the world and wound up the world for a certain time so that it would expire at a certain time, and then through it all, simply just watching, watching and not caring or even watching and not able to and not doing anything regarding the people that are on earth. But the Bible as a whole helps us get to a more glorious picture that God is involved in more ways than we think, and we'll get to that soon. But there are two things right here that need to get our attention. Number one, Habakkuk's faithful protest. You see, I think there are times that we, as followers of God, of Jesus, think that either we can't be honest with God, or we believe that there is no right way to protest or complain to God. But Habakkuk helps us paint a different picture. He reveals to us that there is a way that demonstrates faithfulness while still protesting to God. Habakkuk, as a character and prophet, is honest. And like Job before him, does it in a way that still believes that God exists, that he is love, that he is just, that he is holy, that he is true. What we're going to see as we progress through this book in the coming weeks is that Habakkuk still believes all of these things. But like many of us, doesn't quite understand the timing and the actual full picture reality of these things. Like us, we know that God is love, but perhaps don't quite understand the full extent of what this means for times like a pandemic and in times of crisis and in trial. 
The second thing we need to see here is that Habakkuk is clearly allowed to protest. Sometimes we may think of God, again, as that ruler of deism that is just watching an idol. But a God like that is not our Lord. He is not ruler. And our God allows protest. He allows lament and complaint because he cares for us. He isn't a ruler. He isn't a Lord that ignores or demands that nobody protest against him. He listens. Now Habakkuk has cried out for help. But notice the connection here in the text with this next part. He cries out but claims that God doesn't listen. He cries out violence, but there is no salvation from the violence around. Salvation for those who are being hurt from the violence, and salvation from those who are trying to help those who are being hurt, but continue to see violence. Habakkuk is struggling with the age-old struggle we all struggle with at times. How can God be good when there is so much evil in the world. During that time, the leadership of Israel was corrupt. They ignored the people around them that were being killed and murdered. They ignored the mere fact that there was even violence, and as we will see soon, injustice as well throughout the whole kingdom. Habakkuk is claiming that God is not unlike the leaders of his time, that God is somehow in his almighty power standing by and letting things happen and this does not make sense with the overall character of God that Habakkuk knows. Much like the leaders of that day, Habakkuk is claiming that God isn't listening and continues these kinds and, w and he continues these kinds of protests in verse 3. He says, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. So not only does Habakkuk believe that God is ignoring the violence, he is also ignoring injustice and wrongdoing. He knows that God is making him look at the injustice. He just can't understand why God is making him look at the injustice around him. About 17 years ago, Carlton Pearson, who was one of the up-and-coming leaders of the charismatic and televangelist movement, had a revelation, as he calls it. He was famous at that time. He was speaking and touring to thousands of Christians around the world so that people would hear the gospel and trust in Jesus for their salvation. About 17 years ago, he said he had a revelation. After a lot of stress, he was watching TV one night and watched a show about kids in Africa who were undergoing things like famine and other great injustices. After this night, he went live on the air in front of a congregation and said, I don't believe in the God I believed in. After this, he eventually led thousands to declare that they no longer confessed Jesus as Lord and went away from the Bible. After seeing injustice, he made assumptions about the God that he worshipped. And from those assumptions, he left the faith. 
Now Habakkuk throughout this has been doing a little bit of the same. He believes with all of his being that God is not listening to him for help and for saving from this violence. He doesn't know why God is sovereignly placing injustice in front of the eyes of him. And he doesn't understand why God, if he is good and he is love, is tolerating the wrongdoing of the evil around him. Verse 4 are the assumptions that Habakkuk gives to God in light of all of these things. And this brings us to our main point for this message. But first, read verse 4 once again. Verse 4 says these words. Therefore, the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous, so that justice is perverted. Here's what I want us to understand this morning. Be slow to make assumptions about the God you cannot see. Be slow to make assumptions about the God you cannot see. You see, just because God seems silent doesn't mean that he is. In fact, in Jesus, we understand that God came down and entered history, our history that we live. In Jesus, we understand that God is not silent, and all assumptions have to come face to face with the living Christ, which include these assumptions that we have here from Habakkuk. Because of all we heard in verses 1 to 3, Habakkuk believes these four things. Number one, the law is paralyzed. This, of course, means that the things that God has put in place for the good of his people are frozen. They can't move. The law which God has given for the good of his people and for his glory is paralyzed. Number two, this assumption, justice never prevails. This is a direct relation to Habakkuk protesting about the injustice that God makes him look at. Justice never prevails and injustice does. People are murdering others. Leaders are leading with apathy and sin prevails. Number three, the wicked hem in the righteous. The wicked, those who practice sin out in the open, are mixed in with those who don't. And number four, justice is perverted. You see, not only does justice never prevail, it's perverted, it's twisted. Justice is not seen as justice anymore. What God deemed as just isn't just anymore. Instead of letting God define justice, the people are now defining it. Now, protest to God can be faithful, but assumptions about God can be extremely dangerous. When we stray away from Scripture, when we stray away from what Scripture has to say about God, and look at the world instead, we can start to slowly, or perhaps really quickly, drift away and make our own idea of who God actually is. So where are you this morning? What assumptions out of the four Habakkuk gave 
have you believed in the past or believe now? Do you believe right now because of a pandemic, because of trials, because of panic, because of war, whatever the case may be, that God is therefore silent, not good, and not loved? I want you to challenge these assumptions and thoughts with the cross of Jesus when the Son of God died for us. Challenge the assumption of a silent God with the one who was crucified for us. Challenge the assumption of an unloving God with the God who died for sinners. Next week, we hear from God himself who responds to the protest of Habakkuk. This answer is quickly a fulfillment of the assumption of Habakkuk who says, but you do not listen. As we go forth this week, be slow to make assumptions of our good God who seems silent and invisible. Remember that in Christ, in Jesus, in our living Messiah, God showed to us that he isn't silent. At the cross of Jesus, he showed us that he is a loving God. And in the resurrection, the power of God was in full display to remind us, to show us that God is indeed sovereign. He is in control of all things. Let's pray. Father, what a joy it is to go through your word once again, to proclaim it, to hear it, to read it, and to listen to it. Father, I pray that we can hear the emotion and feel the weight and the depth of this text this morning. And through it all, we can take all of our assumptions about you to Jesus, who loved us, died for us, and Jesus, you now intercede for us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.